No. Uh, okay, so uh, if you have a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 2. We'll look at uh, a lot of verses out of that um, chapter. The text is also printed in the bulletin there, uh, in the handout. Uh, so we're, it's, um, it's Pentecost tomorrow, right? Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, this is when our annual church calendar marks the time uh, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit upon the church, when he anointed his disciples in Jerusalem, uh, as we'll read in just a minute when we read our passage. Uh, so this is a big part of what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. You hear about the gospel a lot. Uh, the gospel uh, includes um, uh, everything, really, about Jesus. Uh, the gospel means good news. It's good news about everything about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, what he continues to do. Everything about Jesus is good news. His life is good news, his death is good news, his resurrection, and his ascension in heaven, and uh, when he poured out his spirit at Pentecost, that's, that's good news. So it can be hard for us to understand exactly uh, what was happening at Pentecost. I'm sure all of us have wondered, what's really going on here? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How does he work? That can be hard to understand uh, how Pentecost is a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit today. So, kids, if you're young worshipers, uh, maybe everybody is invited to do this if you want, but really as a way to engage the, the children especially. Uh, I know you've got some coloring mater materials there. It shows sort of a picture of what's happening here in this, um, uh, in this passage. But uh, I've got three questions for you to think about. Everybody is invited to think about it, but especially you children. And these, uh, you know, these are short questions. Maybe it'd be helpful if you wrote these down. Three questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? We'll talk about that. Who is the Holy Spirit? Secondly, who sent the Holy Spirit? Who sent the Holy Spirit? And then third, what does the Holy Spirit do? So we're going to talk about a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does, really. Uh, but maybe you should pick one that's interest, interesting to you. What, what does the Holy Spirit do? So who is the Holy Spirit? Who sent the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, maybe you can write down uh, what you find out about these questions. Maybe you can draw a picture showing your thoughts about uh, these things. Maybe you want to talk with your parents about this afterwards. Um, I think it'd be great if you thought about these things for the rest of your lives. And again, that goes for everybody. Uh, these are things that I love to think about. So uh, I think it's good for us uh, to look at the Holy Spirit and Pentecost uh, tonight. So let me pray and we'll read the scripture. <laughs> Father, you're able to teach every one of us. You're able to change each of our lives in relationship with you as your word goes forth and in the power of your spirit. So we ask that you would please do it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear 
each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out, out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And down to 30, verse 32, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It's a long passage. Uh, we're not going to talk about everything going on there. Uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a bit of a mysterious figure in the scriptures. It's easy to be confused about who he is and what he does, and there's probably no point in trying to figure out how he does what he does. Um, but he was there in the beginning. Right? It says from the very beginning of the scriptures, Genesis 1, verse 2, he was hovering over the face of the waters as God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So the Spirit uh, was at creation. The Spirit was with the prophets and the priests and the kings throughout the Old Testament. He was inspiring them to uh, write the Holy Scriptures. He was equipping them for their ministry among the people of God. He filled and moved the people, uh, all the people of God, to uh, contribute to the building of the tabernacle and later uh, again to the, uh, the temple, the, the place where people met for communion with God, the people met for worship. He moved the people to contribute to the construction of these places and, uh, and to participation in these places. The Lord Jesus himself was uniquely conceived by the Holy Spirit, as we confess in our creed. We'll do that in a few minutes, uh, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him from the Father. He was the declaration of God's love 
and the, the declaration of God's approval of Jesus at the very moment that signified Jesus' solidarity with sinners like us. When Jesus had committed himself to us, the Holy Spirit, the love of God, came upon him in full approval. And then the Spirit immediately led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, to be tested for 40 days in the wilderness so that he could be our champion out there. He could be our vicarious representative, the one who delivers us from the power of the devil in his own victory over the devil. And then Jesus performed all his miraculous signs in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, testifying to uh, his own redeeming love, God's redeeming love, God's good will toward us, uh, God's purposes for us in all the good miracles, the signs that uh, he accomplished through the power of the Spirit. And it was promised that Jesus would then baptize his people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we do read a lot about the Spirit in the Scriptures, but it can be hard to piece it all together and summarize who the Spirit is and uh, what it is sort of exactly what he does in our lives. So let's try to do a bit of that. Uh, it's clear from the whole Bible, it's clear especially from the way that Jesus talks, that the Holy Spirit is personal, the Holy Spirit is person. That's clear in the Scriptures. It's very hard for us to conceive of a person like the Holy Spirit, but it's everywhere in the Scriptures. The Scriptures don't refer to the Spirit as a thing or as an it, that impersonal neuter pronoun, it. The, the scriptures refer to the spirit with personal pronouns like he and him, his. <clears throat> Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. In, uh, in John's Gospel, chapters 14 through 16, he says a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we'll learn more about what Jesus says. Go there, John 14 through 16. He says things like, he, his personal Holy Spirit, he will bear witness about me, or he will guide you into all the truth. So the Holy Spirit's a person. We usually refer to him as the third person of the Trinity. Right, so talk about doctrines that are hard to get your mind around the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. <clears throat> so it can be really difficult to understand the triune nature of God, but long story short, the scriptures teach that the Spirit is a person who is God. The Spirit is a person who is God. The Spirit's not a lesser being than God. The Spirit is fully God. The Spirit is not a created person. The Spirit is the creator God. The Spirit is not just some part of God. The Spirit is the whole God. The Spirit is God himself, and there is no other God. And the reason why it's important to know this is because the promise that we have throughout the Scriptures, the promise that the one true God has made to his people for long ages is that he would pour out his Holy Spirit upon his people, that he would send the Spirit to make his people new in the closest relationship imaginable. So for long ages, the promise was to do nothing less than for God himself, the whole God, the only God, the fullness of God to be poured out, for God himself to fill his people, for God himself to be sent by God, something that the doctrine of the Trinity helps us to understand. For God himself to be sent by God to uh, restore and to renew the people of God, the people that God loves, to make his people like himself because he himself is in, them, is in us. That's the promise. And you could say that's the whole point of Jesus' life and ministry. To get to this point, to get to Pentecost, the whole point of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. Everything in his earthly life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, 
was leading to Pentecost, the next big thing that happens after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus. This next big thing is Pentecost, pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God himself upon the church. Jesus talked about this a lot. <clears throat> Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his people in Luke 24, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You, speaking of his disciples, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He says that uh, sort of again in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. You'll testify about who I am and what I've done, Jesus says, because you'll be clothed with power that I send you when I send you the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, God himself, who is sent to us to restore us and to renew us, he's the promise of the Father. That's what we find in our passage. He's the promise of the Father secured for us by Jesus through his sacrifice. And there's this amazing, wonderful thing. This is the thing that everybody should think about for the rest of their lives. This is your home for the rest of your life. Think about this. <clears throat> Everywhere in the Old Testament, like when Peter quotes here from Joel, he's quoting from the Old Testament, it's a big long section of Joel in our passage. God says, I will pour out my spirit. He says, I will send my spirit. This is the spirit of God. The spirit belongs to God. God is the one with authority over God's spirit to send God's spirit. That makes sense, right? If God himself is going to be sent somewhere, it just makes sense that God himself would be the one doing sending. But how does Peter talk about this here in our passage? First, he explains that the miraculous sign that the, that's happening here, this big, this big visible thing, this big almost sensational thing that's happened, believers beginning to communicate with people in different languages, that that's the fulfillment of this promise that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, on all kinds of people, so that all kinds of people would hear the gospel and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. Then he goes on to say that Jesus, this man who was crucified, this man who was raised from the dead, this man who has been exalted at God's right hand in heaven, having received the, the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he, this man, is the one who has poured out this, this Holy Spirit. Jesus does what only God can do. He pours out the Holy Spirit upon his church. Yes, God sends the Spirit. This says that clearly. But the good news is that Jesus is in such a relationship with God that he shares in the action. Of course, Jesus, we know he's able to do this because he is God. He is God. But he's not only God. Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is Jesus. He is God become a human being. God became human so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit as a human being. So as a human being, he has received the promise from the Father. As a human being, he has poured out this promise on God's people. A human being sends the Spirit. A human being fills up the people of God with the whole God with the living God. A human being directs the Spirit. A human being issues orders to the Holy Spirit. A human being says to 
God himself. Go here to these people at this time in this place. And that's an absolutely stunning feature of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's both God and man. And it shows the incredible privilege that God has granted to our humanity in Jesus. So remember the word Christ literally means anointed one. It's the Greek word uh, for anointed one. Uh, as a human, Jesus is anointed. He's not anointed just with oil or some substance. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it means. Jesus Christ means Jesus, the Spirit anointed one. He's anointed with the Spirit of God so that he can give the Spirit without measure. So that he can baptize the church with the Holy Spirit and with fire in order to anoint his people with his own anointing, the Christ, making little Christs, Christians, little anointed ones. As a human, the Lord Jesus sends the divine spirit, the eternal spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of glory to his people. So what's he sent him to do? What has he sent the Holy Spirit to do? What's the spirit's purpose in the world? What's the Spirit's purpose in our lives? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? You see it happening here in, in our Pentecost passage in Acts chapter 2. Even though it doesn't get like thoroughly, explicitly explained, you can see what's happening. What happens when Jesus pours out the Spirit according to the Father's, uh, Father's promise? A couple things happen. First, the sound of like a windstorm and flames of fire come, come upon them. Uh, does this mean that every Spirit-filled believer should expect a dramatic, audible, visible experience of the Spirit? Sorry, no. That'd be nice. That'd be fun. No, this was a miraculous sign to mark the beginning of the new age, the age of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus, baptizing with fire to fulfill this cataclysmic apocalyptic vision of the prophets like Joel. This is big deal stuff. So the disciples also began to speak in other languages, which were recognized by people who were visiting Jerusalem for the feast, people from various nations. They're all listed here, uh, hearing their native languages being spoken. So does that mean that every spirit-filled believer should expect to be able to speak in foreign languages that they didn't learn in school or uh, as, as young children in the home or something? Uh, no, this, this was a miraculous sign to mark the beginning of a new age. It's the age of salvation come to the whole world, signified by the church, speaking to the nations in their native languages. So what were they saying? What were, they saying? what were the disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit saying to the nations? Those who heard them marveled and said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so Peter goes on to elaborate uh, after first briefly explaining that we're not drunk. Uh, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to preach the mighty works of God. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus. So that those who hear may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So that they would repent and believe and be baptized and join the church, join the community, join the people of God. So when the Spirit rushes in upon Peter, the promise of power from on high, he opens his mouth and he just can't stop talking about Jesus. That's it. That's not. God confirmed Jesus' identity through the miracles that Jesus performed. That's what Peter says. God confirmed who Jesus was for you because he, he uh, performed all these miracles. God sovereignly orchestrated it when treacherous people crucified Jesus. 
talking about this is the plan of God. God raised Jesus from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. We signed. We bear witness. Those of you who are standing here speaking to you in all these different languages, we are witnesses of his resurrection. And now Jesus is at God's right hand. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. This is how he was able to pour out this spirit that you yourselves are hearing and seeing right now. And that's why you've got to go to him for salvation. You've got to go to Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit has been at work ever since, ever since this time, pointing people to Jesus. That's what he does. That's his great work. He points people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit directs our hearts and our minds to Jesus. He assures us of the grace and truth of Jesus. He seals and guarantees our relationship with Jesus. He brings us to rest and trust in Jesus. He grows our love and longing for Jesus. He moves us to sing and testify about Jesus. He enables and equips us to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who connects us to Jesus. He unites us to him. He ushers us into communion with God in Jesus. He breathes the life of Jesus into us. He guides us as we walk with Jesus. He comforts us in the name of Jesus. Not only does a human being, Jesus, Send, send God the Holy Spirit to us. The great work of God the Holy Spirit is to exalt that man, to glorify that man as the Savior, to bear witness to Jesus, to introduce the whole world to Jesus, to break hearts and then to mend them and heal them with the news of the God-man, Jesus. The Spirit does this by making it so that the church just can't stop talking about him. You might not think that's a very big deal. It seems kind of mundane, right? All the creative, miraculous power in the universe at the Spirit's disposal, and all he does is get a bunch of boneheads like us to can't stop thinking about Jesus. Right? You think about it. All he does is make some poor, lisping, stammering tongues talk about Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it might appear to be a very ordinary thing, but in this whole universe, there is nothing more miraculous than when rebels submit themselves to the true king. There's nothing more miraculous than this work of the Holy Spirit. It's entirely impossible for dead hearts to be made alive to God through faith in Jesus, except for the work of the Holy Spirit. Who ever heard of self-centered, self-loving, self-exalting sinners confessing their sins, humbling themselves, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, calling on the name of the Lord, for salvation from themselves, except for the work of the Holy Spirit. That's unimaginable. It's a miracle that any of you are here. It's unimaginable that we would turn to Jesus to receive an entirely new identity, that we'd give up our own and run to him to, to participate in his identity. It's entirely unimaginable that we would give up our own righteousness to receive and cherish his, that we would cease to be enemies with God, that we would entrust our judgment to him, that we would say, I don't have the right to judge. You're a better judge than I am. Please judge me, Lord Jesus, to entrust ourselves to his judgment, that we would testify to his utter trustworthiness, even in our suffering, even in our suffering, that God orchestrates that you would entrust yourself to his judgment in those circumstances, 
It's unimaginable that we would be turned inside out and lay down our lives for other people except for the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that does these things that are real miracles. It's inconceivable that disciples like Peter, Peter, who just a few days earlier had denied Jesus multiple times, a few days earlier had been hiding in fear with the other disciples in the locked upper room, that he would now step out in broad daylight to proclaim to the very people that he was hiding from before, the very people who had crucified Jesus, that forgiveness is found only in the one that they humiliated and killed. Inconceivable that cowards would become brave witnesses who lay down their lives, except for the work of the Holy Spirit. These things are, are more wonderful miracles than raising continents out of the sea or setting stars and dances in the heavens. Only the Spirit can bring forth all things from nothing. Only the Spirit can bring forth life from death. Only the Spirit can bring forth love of Jesus from sinful hearts like ours. And Pentecost means that the glorious Lord Jesus, the anointed one, he has sent that spirit for that very purpose by his everlasting grace. So by the power of the spirit and only by the power of the spirit, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we don't just want to learn about the Holy Spirit. We want him to be poured into our hearts. We want him to fill us with all the fullness of God. We want him to renew us in our life with you, our, our relationship with you. We want to believe that you are always with us and in us through the Holy Spirit. Awaken the dead. Flood our hearts with your love. Ignite us for your mission. Grant us courage. Give us the joy and peace that are only found in the Spirit. We pray in the name of the one who gives the Spirit without measure. Amen. Amen.